السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the holy quran we started from the end of the quran and moving backwards we've now reached today's surah which is surah al-fajr it's the 89th surah of the quran and it's longer than any of the other surahs we've done so far so inshallah today we'll be studying the commentary of surah al-fajr surah al-fajr is the 89th surah as i've just mentioned it's a very early surah that was revealed to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the earlier days of his prophethood in Makkah al-Mukarramah in fact it's the 10th surah to be revealed in order of revelation the name surah al-fajr is taken from the very first word of the surah wal-fajr i've mentioned before the famous story of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an who would lead his people in prayer in Medina and one night someone one of the local companions he arrived in the masjid to pray salah but Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an had lengthened his salah as a result of which this ma- this man separated himself and then the next day he went to complain to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam telling him o messenger of allah that we are people of work and labor and need and muadh ibn jabal leads us in prayer but he lengthens the salah considerably because he started praying long surahs so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam became quite angry and he summoned Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu an and said to him afatanun anta ya Mu'adh that oh Mu'adh 
will you create fitna for the people? Or you want to create fitna, confusion and trouble, disruption and distraction, strife. And then the Prophet ﷺ advised him to moderate his salah, not to make it so long. And then he actually advised him as to which surahs he should recite. And there were a number of them, وَاللَّيْلِ ذَا يَغْشَى وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا One of them is Surah Al-Fajr. So the Prophet ﷺ said, why don't you read Wal-Fajr? So it's a surah which is commonly read in salah. We hear it's regularly being recited by the imams of salah. We recite it ourselves, especially in Isha. And as a result of which most people also know its contents by heart. So here is an attempt to not just read the words, but understand what the meaning and message is of this famous surah, which we are accustomed to reading in salah. So let's begin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Wal Fajr. By the daybreak, Walayalin Ashr, and the ten nights, Walshafi Wal Watr, and by the even and the odd, Walayli Ida Yasr, and by the night when it moves on. هل في ذلك قسم لذي حجر؟ Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? ألم ترى كيف فعل ربك بعاد؟ Have you not seen what your Lord did with عاد؟ إرم ذات العماد of إرم people of those whose like was not created in the lands. And with Thamud, those who hollowed the rocks who carved out the rocks in the valley. And with Pharaoh, the one of pegs, those who transgressed in the lands. So they spread much corruption therein. So your Lord poured over them, or your Lord poured on them a scourge of punishment. Indeed, your Lord is ever watchful. That's a simple translation of approximately one third of the surah, the beginning of the surah. The surah al-fajr consists of 30 verses. And... This is the translation of the beginning section of the surah. I'll suffice with this because uh, 
It's a long surah, it contains many different topics. And in terms of the commentary, this is one section. And then hopefully, inshallah, we will do the next section next week and then the third and final section the week thereafter. Fajr means daybreak, dawn, morning. More literally, daybreak. And Allah swears by this natural phenomenon in the first verse of, of this surah. Now before I continue, I'd just like to introduce as a summary the overall content and the theme of the surah. This is an early Meccan surah. So it reflects the mission of the Prophet ﷺ in Makkah al-Mukarramah and his interaction with the people of Makkah, the Quraysh, and their opposition to him. And being a Makkan surah, it reflects the main contents and themes of the Makkan surah, of the Makkan surahs. And as far as this surah is concerned, in general, at the beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by a number of object, by a number of things. Dawn, daybreak, nights, the odd and the even, by the nights when it moves and becomes darker. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about three nations of the past. The people of Ad, Thamud, and the people of Pharaoh. And these three nations had been blessed with so much wealth, abundance, of sustenance, opulence, riches, a good life, strength and might. And yet they abused all of these favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And not only that, but in the case of each of these nations, the, the people of Ad, the people of Thamud, and the people of Pharaoh, they rebelled against their messengers. And the messengers repeatedly warned them. And they mocked the messengers. They accused them of being madmen. And then eventually, having rejected their messages and even ignored and having paid no heed to the warnings of these messengers, they all suffered a severe punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all these nations, ultimately, despite their strength, they perished. In the case of Pharaoh, only his many perished, but mainly he and his army. And in the case of Ad and Thamud, the entire nations perished, except for those who believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and were ultimately saved and removed. Then, having spoken about the destroyed and perished nations, Allah speaks about the nature of man, his weakness of character, his instability, his ingratitude, his awkward thinking and attitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
his ungratefulness, his delusion, and his fluctuation between extremes of elation and absolute despair. Then Allah speaks about further characteristics of man, his misdeeds, his misbehaviors, his relationship to wealth, and as a result of increasing wealth and riches, his increasing transgression, and his increasing miserliness and tight-fistedness, stinginess. His inability to help and assist others, spend on the orphans. And his acquiring wealth unlawfully. And his unbounded, his immoderate, immeasurable love of wealth. And how that leads to transgression and corruption. Then finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the third section of the surah moves on from this world, from the past, the nations of the past, to the weakness of the present people, ultimately to the destiny of people in the hereafter. And Allah speaks of Jannah and Jahannam. And then finally the destiny of Good people, of those who believe and do good deeds, and how their souls will become pleased and content with Allah, and Allah will be content with them. They will be pleased and pleasing. Pleased with Allah and pleasing to Allah. And how they will be granted entry into the gardens of Jannah and amongst the servants of Allah. So this is the summary of the surah and all three sections are connected and every all the verses are connected to each other there is a beautiful link and a smooth link between each and the other one of the themes of the surah is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about wal fajr that's the very beginning wal fajr ash by the daybreak and the ten nights. And with the words daybreak, the message and theme is that here is guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Pay heed to this guidance. Accept it. Act on it. And as a result of which, just as morning dispels darkness... Just as daybreak brings clarity after darkness and confusion, and it brings relief after the danger of the night, and after the darkness of the night, similarly, through Allah's guidance, Allah will take you from darknesses into light if you accept His guidance. And pay heed to these words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will bring you clarity after confusion, relief after grief, and contentment after despair. And eventually, as the words end, you will be told in the hereafter, Ya ayyutuhan nafsun mutma'inna, O soul, which is at peace, which is content, 
which is pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with it. Return to your Lord in such a state of pleasure that you are pleased with Allah and content with Allah. Allah is pleased and content with you. You are at peace. Enter amongst my servants and enter into my gardens. So this will be the ultimate result and the destiny of one who accepts the advice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his guidance and acts on it. This is the overall theme of the surah. So let's actually begin with the beginning words. Allah says, Fajr, By the daybreak, which is morning. In these few verses at the beginning, Allah swears by a number of things. The daybreak, the ten nights, by the odd, by the even, and by the even, and by the night when it moves on and finally settles in its darkness. Allah swears by these things. And then he says, Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? So, Fajr, by the daybreak, and by the ten nights, and by the even and the odd. وَاللَّيْلِ By the night, when it moves, i.e. at the beginning of the night, there's still some light, the after effects of daylight, the afterglow and twilight. But as the night moves on, it becomes darker. Eventually, it becomes extremely dark. This is the meaning of when it moves on. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا and by the night when it moves on. Then Allah says, is there an oath in this for those who possess intelligence? Now, before we, before I speak on that particular verse of, is there an oath in this for those who possess intelligence? For one, for one of intelligence. Let me actually explain what the morning, the odd, the even, the ten nights refer to. There are many explanations, but these are the simplest and hopefully the most reliable since they are mentioned in, sh- in some narrations. Well, Fajr is generally just daybreak, the morning. And we also have Salatul Fajr, which is prayer after dawn, before sunrise, prayer at daybreak. It's a very blessed time, and morning is both beautiful in its appearance as a natural phenomena, as a natural phenomena, and very tranquil, serene, and calm, very soothing. So, even in natural terms, it's a very beautiful time. The morning, mornings and evenings are extremely beautiful. And we may not be able to appreciate them so much, but in warmer climates, where you have the heat of the day, the coolest periods, where birds, animals and humans come out and are able to enjoy 
nature at its most sublime, in its most sublime state, in its most beautiful state. These timings are morning and evening. And the, these are also the times, not only of the birds singing and chirping of animals coming out, and of the species of the, mo- of the day coming out, and the species of the night retreating. And then in the evening, the species of the, e- of the day retreating, and the species of the night coming emerging. Not only are these the times of exchange of animals and insects and birds, but these two are also the times of exchange for the angels. So the angels of the night retreat, and the angels of the day descend at Fajr, and vice versa in the evening. And this is referenced in the verse of the Holy Qur'an, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا And the Qur'an, the recitation of the morning, verily, the recitation of the morning is attested to, is witnessed. Witnessed by whom? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself explains this in a hadith that the angels gather in Fajr during the Salah. The angels gather and the ones of the night and the ones of the day then the ones of the night retreat and the ones of the day remain. And then he actually says at the end of the hadith, اِقْرَأُوا إِنْ شِئْتُمْ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا That recite if you wish, that verily the recitation of Fajr is attested to, is witnessed. I translate recitation because, as you may recall, I've explained before that the word Qur'an means a recital. Apart from being a noun, a proper noun referring to the book, of, the speech of Allah and the holy book as we know it, originally it means the recital, the recitation. And that's how it's to be understood in this verse too. وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ And the recitation or the recital of the morning, verily the recital of the morning is witnessed and attended, i.e. by whom? The angels. So morning is a very beautiful time. It's very tranquil, very serene, very peaceful and beautiful as a natural phenomenon. And then alongside that, we have the spiritual beauty of the morning where the angels descend. The Qur'an and the recitation, the recital of the morning is most sublime and beautiful. And these two times of the day, the ends of the day, morning and evening, are also the periods during which Allah has encouraged the believers to remember him often. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا اذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ ذِكْرًا كَثِيرًا وَسَبِّحُوهُ بُكْرَةً وَأَصِيلًا O believers, remember Allah excessively. Remember Allah often. وَسَبِّحُوهُ And Him His praise. بُكْرَةً وَأَصِيلًا In the morning and in the evening. In another verse, وَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ قَبْلَ طُلُوعِ الشَّمْسِ وَقَبْلَ غُرُوبِهَا And Him the praise of your Lord. Before the rising of the sun and before its setting. 
So, and there are many of the verses throughout the Quran which speak about tasbih and the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the morning and in the evening. In fact, in one of the sunnah prayers and du'as of the morning, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, Oh Allah, this is the arrival of your morning and the departure of your night. So, morning is a beautiful time, both naturally and religiously both as a natural phenomenon and spiritually. For the mind, for the heart, for the spirit, it's a beautiful time. So Allah swears by Fajr, daybreak, morning. Then in the next verse, وَلَيَالٍ عَشْرٍ And by the, ten, by the ten nights. Which ten nights are being referred to? It's very simple. These ten nights refers, refer to... The, ten, the first ten nights of the 11th month of the year. Sorry, the 12th month, the Hijjah. These are the blessed ten days of the Hijjah. In which fasting is prescribed, good deeds are prescribed. And then on the 8th of the Hijjah, we have Yawm Tarwiyah. The first of the five or six days of Hajj. And then on the ninth we have Yawm Arafah, which is a very blessed day. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has encouraged fasting. He would normally fast on the ninth of the Hijjah. He has encouraged fasting. And one famous hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that whoever fasts on the day of Arafah, Allah will forgive one year's past sins and one year's future sins. And then on the 10th of the Hijjah, we have Yawm Nahr, the day of sacrifice and slaughter, and that is also the day of Eid, one of the two days of festivity and celebration for the Muslims during the year. So these first 10 nights are what are being referred to the days follow the nights, but the night comes first. So, for in the Islamic calendar, the day begins with Maghrib Salah. And the whole 24-hour period begins with Maghrib Salah, ends with Maghrib on the next day. So the night comes first, followed by the day. So, obviously, even with nights, we attach the days. So the ten nights being referred to are the ten nights and days of Dhul Hijjah. And in a famous hadith related by Imam Bukhari and many others, uh, as part of a longer hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, مَا مِنْ أَيَّامِنَ الْعَمْلُ الصَّالِحُ أَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ فِيهِنَّ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأَيَّامِ That there are no days, i.e. throughout the year, in which good deeds are more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than these ten days. This is why fasting is encouraged for all ten days except for the day of Eid, and other good deeds are encouraged and prescribed. It's a very blessed time. And towards the end of these ten days, we have the great pilgrimage on the 8th, 9th, 10th. And it continues on the 11th and the 12th. And for those who wish to extend it, then for the sixth day of Hajj on the 13th. So the ten nights being sworn by, about by Allah are the ten nights of the Hijjah. So, وَالْفَجْرِ وَلَيَالِ By daybreak. By the ten nights. وَالشَّفْعِ وَالْوَتْرِ By 
the even by the odd. One of the simplest meanings of this is washafer by the even, which is the there are many meanings given to this phrase, washafer, even. It actually means pair. And walwatr means odd, something which is single. So rather than referring to all odds, i.e. three, five, seven, nine, it refers to the first odd, the first number. And what it really means is singular. So shifr means the pair. And watr means the singular. So one reference to this is washafr. And by the pa- by the even meaning by all pairs. And by the odd meaning the singular. And in the hadith of uh, Sahih al-Bukhari and others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah is watr. Meaning Allah is singular. Not odd, but singular. So if Allah is singular, in that he has no equal, no parallel, no partner, no opposites, and he is not paired with anyone or anything. But everyone and everything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is paired. Every single thing of Allah's creation comes in pairs. And each has its opposite, each has its rival, each has its, maybe not equal, but associate. So, according to one interpretation, was shifring. And by the even meaning, by all pairs of Allah's creation, walwatr, and by Allah Himself. Another interpretation is, was shifring, meaning by the even, this refers to the tenth night of the Hijjah. And walwatr, by the odd, this refers to the ninth night. Of the Hijjah. So although Allah has already spoken of the ten nights, out of these ten nights, two nights have been mentioned specifically again. The tenth night of the Hijjah with the words the even, and the ninth night of the Hijjah, the night of <coughs> Arafah, the night preceding Arafah. So these are the ten nights and then a repetition of the qasm of the oath for nine and ten, with the words and the even referring to the tenth, and the odd referring to the ninth. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, By the night when it moves on, i.e. not the beginning of the night, where we still have twilight and the after effects of the day, and the after, and its afterglow, but rather... Much later. And this is referred to elsewhere in the Quran too. For instance, in Surah Al-Layl, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى By the night, when it covers in darkness, then, in a number of other verses, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of the night settling in its darkness. وَالضُحَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى By the mid-morning. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى And by, by the night when it settles. 
when it becomes most dark and it settles in its darkness. So, again, why speak, well, what's the significance of the night when it's darkest? Again, when a great portion of the night has passed, despite its dangers, if one can be protected from the harms and the ills and the dangers of the night, then after such protection, the night is also very peaceful. And Allah has referred to it as sakana, a time of tranquility and peace for people to rest. And in the darkest hours of the night, religiously, again, it's a very beautiful time. This is a time when we have been encouraged to rise and stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in prayer in tahajjud. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa would do that. And this is why proper tahajjud is when a person sleeps and then having slept, rises and abandons the bed and stands before Allah azza wa so, when Layli idha saja, and by the, night, by the night when it settles in its darkness, here this is to a reference, when Layli idha yasri, Allah says here, when, and by the night when it moves on, i.e. it becomes much later and settles in its darkness. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَسَمٌ Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? Although we've covered a number of surahs so far, in which we've discussed many verses in which Allah swears by certain things. All of these surahs, which we've already covered. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually says for the first time that we have come across, meaning Allah asks a question. Allah mentions a word, qasam, by itself. Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? So allow me to explain a bit about the oath and its significance in the Qur'an. Normally when a person swears an oath, one does so if they require further support and verification. So it's almost as though a person taking an oath is in a weaker position and has to resort to something like an oath to prove their case, to argue their, argue their honesty and to prove their veracity and truthfulness. So a person taking an oath, swearing an oath, is already in a slightly weak position. One. Secondly, when a person swears an oath, they always do so with something 
the object of their oath is often something sacred, great, and grand. So when a human swears an oath, he will say, by Allah. And even for those who do not believe in Allah or who are not Muslim, even they will swear by something sacred, grand and great. So being in a weak position, the one swearing an oath will do so with something much, with something much greater, grander and sacred. Here, however, we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swearing and taking an oath in the Holy Qur'an in many different places. One, Allah is in no weak position. Allah is not in a weak position. To the contrary, it is only Allah who has all might and strength. Secondly, Allah swearing, in some places Allah swears by himself. But in most of the places throughout the Qur'an where Allah swears an oath, takes an oath, he does so by phenomena in his creation. So the greater one, or the greatest, is swearing by something which is inferior, apparently. So then what is the purpose of these oaths in the Qur'an? What purpose do they serve? And how should we view them? And I mention this because Allah says, Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no need, but these oaths are sworn by in order to attract our attention, to arrest and capture our attention, to guide us. And these oaths are connected with the objects of these oaths. So here Allah swears an oath, and the objects of the oaths are the night, the odd, the even, the ten nights, daybreak. There is a connection between these objects of Allah's oaths and the complement of the oath which comes later, the message. These oaths are sworn by in order to create an emphasis, to attract our attention and to signify, to magnify the message that's coming later. And there is always a connection between the oaths and the ultimates complement the subjects of the oaths. Furthermore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks, is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? It's not an interrogative question, one that requires an answer. It's more a rhetorical question. So although it's it appears to be interrogative, the message is assertive. Allah is not asking us, is there? And then we decide whether there is or not. Allah is saying there is. There is a great oath in this, just as Allah says in another verse of the Qur'an, 
where he says, فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِمُوَاقِعِ النُّجُومِ وَإِنَّهُ لَقَسَمٌ لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ عَظِيمٌ And I do swear, by the settings of the stars, or the, by the places of the stars, and it is surely a great oath, if only you knew. So our failure to appreciate these oaths of the Holy Qur'an is a reflection of our lack of understanding, sense, intelligence and knowledge. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here in that verse, وَإِنَّهُ لَقَسَّمٌ لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ عَظِيمٌ And it surely is a great oath, if only you knew. And here, although it's a question, it's rhetorical, هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَسَّمٌ لِذِي Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? Of course there is. But we will not be able to appreciate these oaths of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the message and the compliments of these oaths, if we do not exercise our intelligence, if we do not pay attention, if we don't open up our minds to the message of Allah azza wa Hijr. The word is لِذِي hijr for one of intelligence. Hijr means intelligence. And the origin of the word is quite interesting. One of the meanings, of, well, hijr is related to hajr and hajr. All of these words which stem from the same trilateral roots, Ha-jim and ra hajr. Hajr means a stone. And hajr, hajr, and hijr are all related to the meaning of prevention. Prevention and protection. So what's the significance of prevention and protection in the word hijr, when it means sense or reason or intelligence. Very simple. Our minds, our brains, our senses, our intelligence should be such. A man's sense is called hijr in Arabic. Man's intelligence is called hijr in Arabic, which has a connotation of protection and prevention. Because sense and intelligence prevent a person from foolish acts, from dangerous things, from harmful things, or that a person's sense should do anyway. And another word for intelligence in Arabic is, the more famous word is, aql. And it's been imported into many other languages, so even in Urdu, Persian, and other languages, the meaning of sense or intelligence or even brains is aql. This is an Arabic import, it comes from Arabic. Again, what does aql mean? Where does it come from? You may recall from my commentary of Sahih al-Bukhari just a few days ago on Friday, that, and I mentioned it before as well, that one of the meanings of aql is compensation. 
blood money. And it refers to a hundred camels. I won't go into detail about that. But I said, how is that name derived? Blood money, blood writs. Because when they would deliver the camels, they would tie them up outside the recipient's home. And then they would proceed to tell them that we've brought the camels and we've tied them up, i.e. we've delivered them. So, tying became a byword for delivery. And delivery was a byword for payment. So eventually, the payment of the blood writs and the money was simply referred to as tying so the original meaning of aql is aql ya'kilu aklan which means to tie up to bind and this meaning is also well this is why we call aql aql because aql means is something which ties the person and binds them therefore protecting them from waywardness and wandering so both the words aql and hijr mean sense, reason, and intelligence. And what they both demonstrate is that a person's sense and intelligence should bind them, prevent them from being loose, wandering aimlessly, and protect them, and prevent them from harmful, foolish, detrimental thoughts, acts, and behaviors, and deeds. So if we are of such poor intelligence... That we can't exercise our brains, our intelligence and our senses to protect ourselves or to bind us and make us more moderate, upright and not loose and wayward and haphazard. Then how can that same poor and weak intelligence ultimately understand the oaths of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So halfi dhalika qasamul ladhi hijr Is there an oath? In this, for one of sense, for one of intelligence, the more upright a person becomes, the greater the understanding of religion Allah will endow him with and bestow on him. Just as Allah says at the very beginning of the Quran, Alif Lam Mim, Dalik al Kitabu la Rayi this book, there is no doubt therein. It is a guidance. But here at the beginning of the Qur'an, after Surah Al-Fatiha, although it is, the book is a guidance for the whole of mankind. It's a book of guidance for all peoples. It's a book of guidance for all nations, for all times. Yet Allah doesn't say at the beginning of the Qur'an, this book, there is no doubt therein, Hudal lil muttaqeen, a guidance for all the worlds. No, here at the beginning, Allah says, Hudal lil muttaqeen, a book of guidance for those of taqwa, for the people of taqwa. Why? Because, وَاتَّقُوا wa وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ اللَّهِ And be conscious of Allah, fear Allah, and Allah will teach you. Allah will give you knowledge. 
The greater one's piety, the greater one's understanding. The greater one's upright nature, consciousness of Allah and fear of Allah, the greater one's intelligence and wisdom. Remember, apparent intelligence doesn't always correlate with sense and wisdom. We have psychopaths who are often above average intelligence. Man has many different ages. A physical age. A mental age. An emotional age. And an age of sense and wisdom. And the four are hardly ever in synchrony. So a person may be physically 20 years old. As far as brain processes, cognition, thinking ability, and as far as the mechanical functions of the brain are concerned, a person may be physically 20 years old and have a mental age of a 30-year-old in that the person is actually of above average intelligence. They are precocious. Their intelligence is beyond their years. But, we are only speaking about the mechanical functions, the arithmetic, the processes of the brain, the functions of the brain. We are not talking about emotional age or the age of sense and wisdom. For various reasons, maybe because of problems in childhood or upbringing or emotional stunt, emotionally stunted growth. This 20-year-old may have the physique and the physical age of a 20-year-old. The mental age of a 30-year-old because they are above average intelligence. But they actually may have the emotional age of a ten-year-old. Their reactions, their choices, their behaviours, their wants and desires, their impulsive nature, their instability and fluctuations of behaviour, their capricious behaviour. In their attitudes, in their behaviour, in their choices, in their wants and desires, they do not act like a 20-year-old or even a 30-year-old. But rather, their emotional needs and the responses to those emotional needs are more like a 10-year-old child. And just as these three ages are all out of sync... The fourth age of sense and wisdom will also be out of sync. Intelligence does not equate to sense and wisdom. We find all kinds of people who are extremely intelligent academically, but who behave miserably. No sense, 
no wisdom. They end up harming themselves and harming others. This is why we say, Aql. It may, we may have the mechanical functions of the brain, but it does not bind the person. Despite their aql, they are loose. And hijr means intelligence. But that we're just talking about the function of the brain. Despite the hijr, which is supposed to prevent and protect their choices, their behaviors, are harmful and destructive. So these are different ages of people. Is there an oath in this for one of sense, for one of intelligence? Of course there is. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the nations of the past. Allah says, أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِأَصْحَابِ الْفِيدِ So أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ the words are exactly the same as the beginning of Surah Al-Fil. Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuk? Have you not seen? And the address, who is being addressed? Not all the people. The address is singular to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah is addressing the noble messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam individually. And then beyond him, by virtue of the message, the rest of creation. But the primary address is to the Prophet ﷺ. Allah says, Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuk? Have you not seen what your Lord did? With who? Bi'ad. With Ad. Irma dhatil imad. Of Iram. Dhatil imad. People of Pillars. Now, huwa ad, this phrase is merely a phrase of identification. Ad were, were an Arab nation who lived in the south of Arabia in a region called Ahqaf, which is mentioned in the Quran and the whole surah. Surah Al-Ahqaf has been named after this word, Ahqaf. And Ahqaf refers to an area of sand dunes in southern Arabia, between the country of Oman and central southern Arabia, Hadramaut. So, in that region lived an ancient tribe and nation known as the people of Ad. And they were nomads. So they used to have, they were nomads and they would travel throughout the region in the deserts. And since there were nomads, imad, pillars, refers to tent poles. However, the people of Ad themselves were a mighty warrior nation. And they weren't just courageous, but physically as well, Allah had endowed them with immense strength, unbelievable strength. In fact, they were unmatched in their physical strength and abilities. And Allah sent to them a prophet from themselves. The prophet Hud alayhi salam. And Allah mentions that in other verses of the Quran. And to Ad, we sent one of their own, their brother meaning one of their own, Hud. And he delivered the same message as the other messengers. 
And he reminded them of Allah's favors to them. And how these favors of Allah should not be employed in sin and in disobedience. But they should be used for the obedience of Allah. Otherwise it would be an, ex- an extreme act of ingratitude. So the Prophet Hud told them as well. That all oh my people. Remember how Allah has made you the successors. To the people of Nuh alayhi salam. وَزَادَكُمْ فِي الْخَلْقِ بَسْطَةِ فَذْكُرُوا آلَاءَ اللَّهِ And Allah increased you in strength, in physique. Therefore remember the gifts of Allah upon you. So the Prophet Hud alayhi salam specifically mentioned their physical prowess and strength. And said to them that this is a gift of Allah, appreciate it, be grateful to Allah, and use it in obedience rather than in sin and in transgression. And Allah mentions here as well, بِعَادٍ إِرْمَذَاتِ الْعِمَادِ الَّتِي لَمْ يُخْلَقْ مِثْلُهَا فِي الْبِلَادِ That have you not seen what your Lord did with Ad of Irm, people of pillars, meaning the temples. A people whose like was never created in the, in the lands. They were unique. Allah gave them immense physical strength and abilities. And they were mighty. And they prided themselves on their prowess and on their strength. So much so that Allah mentions in another verse of the Quran, فَأَمَّا عَادٌ فَاسْتَكْبَرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ وَقَالُوا مَنْ أَشَدُّ مِنَّا قُوَّةٌ as for Ad, they were arrogant in the land without just cause. And they said, Who is mightier than us in strength? Allah then continues, Do they not see that that Allah who created them is mightier than them in strength? And they would reject and deny our signs. So, despite being a mighty nation, when their prophets called to them and delivered the message, they rejected him, they ridiculed him, they mocked him, they called him a madman. Then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the next nation in this set here. Have you not seen what your Lord did with Ad of Iram? Iram is the ancestor of Ad. So actually, Iram was a common ancestor to the people of Ad as well as the people of Thamud. But more f- so, Allah, but here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Iram in the context of. The people of Ad. So Ad were the descendants of Iram. This is why Allah says, Have you not seen what your Lord did with Ad? Of Iram. So Iram was their ancestor. People of pillars, meaning tent poles. Because they were nomads. The likes of which, and the likes of which is referring to the people of Ad in their physical strength and stature. Allah says their like was never created in the lands. Then Allah says, 
And have you not seen what your Lord did with Thamud? That Thamud, or the, those people of Thamud, who hollowed out buildings, and who carved out buildings, or who hollowed the rocks in the valley. The people of Thamud lived in northwestern Arabia, in the region between the city of Medina and the north of Arabia, Tabuk. And this area was called Hijr. Again, Allah mentions the people of Thamud alternatively with the name of Ashabul Hijr, the people of Hijr. And when the Prophet ﷺ passed by Hijr on his journey up north towards Tabuk, which wasn't originally his intended destination, uh, as I've explained in the commentary of the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik, from Sahih al-Bukhari, on the occasion of the campaign of Tabuk, Rasulullah ﷺ passed by this region of Hijr, and he told the Sahaba not to stop there. So he prevented them from watering their animals and refreshing themselves, uh, and from rewatering and refreshing in that region. Rather, he told them not to camp there, not to stop, but to hasten through and weep before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and be fearful, lest the same punishment of Allah not befall them, as it befell the people of the world. Because it was a cursed place. Again, the people of Thamud were a people of a mighty civilization. They carved out great architecture in that region. And they were experts in irrigation, in agriculture, in farming, in hewing out and in carving buildings from the rocks, from rock faces. And the beautiful architecture that we can see in Petra, in modern-day Jordan. Similar architecture is to be found in the region of Hijr, in northwest Arabia, the region occupied by the people of Thamud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Salih alayhi salam to the people of Thamud. وَإِلَىٰ ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا and I've actually explained this in some detail recently in the commentary of Surah Al-Shams, where towards the end Allah mentions a few details about the people of Thamud. Again, when the Prophet Salih was sent to them, the people of Thamud were rich, cultivated, cultured. They had a great civilization. They were mighty in strength, extremely intelligent. They excelled in agriculture, in actually making the whole desert blossom. They made the whole desert blossom. And the people of Thamud in Hijr, as well as their brethren up north in the, of the Nabataeans in the region of Petra, till this day we marvel at their structures and at their engineering despite thousands of years. Many, many thousands of years. We marvel at their engineering, their irrigation and watering systems in 
the middle of the desert and how they're able to sustain life, agriculture, farming, produce, crops, and water irrigation in the middle of the desert. They made the desert bloom. It's a testimony to their intelligence, their creativity, and the greatness of their civilization. Despite all of that, they rejected the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when Allah sent a prophet to them, the Prophet Salih alayhi salam, they did with him what many others did with their messengers. They mocked him, they ridiculed him, they spurned him, they rejected him. And then eventually they persecuted him and his followers. So the Prophet Salih warned them, they paid no heed. Eventually they perished, they were destroyed too. And many forms of punishment befell all of them. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a third group in this section. That have you not seen what your Lord did with Pharaoh? The one of pegs. Awtad is a jum'a of watid, watid, it means pegs. And the reference to pegs here is multiple. His civilization was the ancient Egyptian civilization. They were mighty. They built the pyramids. These pyramids were pegs as well. So this is a reference to the pyramids too. These huge structures protruding from the earth like pegs pointing to the sky. Till this day, we marvel at the engineering and the architecture of the grand and great pyramids. We are unable to fathom how they did it. Especially in that period. So it was a mighty civilization. Yet despite their engineering, despite their agriculture, despite their wealth, despite their intelligence despite their military prowess. What was common to all three nations, the people of Pharaoh, the people of Thamud, the people of Ad, Allah says later in the, in the next verse, Those, meaning all of these, who transgressed in the lands, then, Thus they spread much corruption therein. And this is what happens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us sense and intelligence and brains and gifts and faculties and senses of understanding in order to appreciate Allah, worship Him and to fulfill our test in life here on earth. To make meaningful our existence, to give purpose to our lives, and to give destiny and destination to our journey on earth. We have not been created at random, haphazardly, aimlessly, without motive, without purpose. There is a vision, there is a destiny, there is a journey, there is a direction, there is a purpose. And all the tools that we have been given of strength, of intelligence, of ability, of means and resources, both in us and around us, in ourselves and in the earth, 
Allah has bestowed all of this on us to fulfill our purpose and our destiny. Which is, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I have not created jinn and man, except that they may serve me. Ibadah means service. This is why abd means servant. Ibadah doesn't just mean worship in the sense of prayer, pilgrimage and fasting. Ibadah means service. That's why an abd is called a servant. And worship is merely part of that service. Our whole life, our whole being, our whole existence is a service to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every moment of our existence. This is our purpose. Everything that Allah has given us should be used and employed for this purpose. However, what was common to all these three nations? They, they exploited the gifts of Allah and abused them. And used them in sin. Rather than utilizing them in his obedience, they used them in his disobedience. They were wayward. They did not remain within the boundaries set by Allah Azza wa As a result of which, what happens? These gifts ultimately led to their destruction. They excelled in every way except in themselves. They made everything beautiful around them. But their characters were not adorned or beautified. They made everything good except them. They sorted out everything around them. They put everything in its place. They put everything to good use. But they let themselves rot and become corrupt. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? فَصَبَّ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّكَ صَوْتَ عَذَابٍ so your Lord poured. Sabba means pouring. For sabba alayhim, so your Lord poured on them. Sawta adab, the scourge of punishment. Allah punished them and destroyed them utterly. We don't have time to go into the details of what actually befell them. But the, all, all three nations were destroyed. And as far as the people of Pharaoh were concerned, he and his army perished and they were destroyed. Now, the question here is, and then Allah says, "Inna Rabbaka labil mirsad," and this is where we will end. "Inna Rabbaka labil mirsad," indeed, your Lord is forever watchful. Mirsad means a place wherein one waits for the prey. A place where a person lies in wait for the prey is known as mirsad. A human, where he hides in order to launch an attack, his place of secrecy from where he observes and eventually launches a surprise attack, that place is mirsad. An animal, when it waits, springed, ready, In order to leap and attack, that place is known as Mirsad. 
So in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inna rabbaka labil mirsabu, a crude translation would be, indeed your Lord lies in wait. Indeed your Lord is ever watchful. So Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not ignore what these nations did. And that's why in Surah Ibrahim, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ إِنَّمَا يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ لِيَوْمٍ تَشْخِصُ فِيهِ الْأَبْصَارِ And you do not ever think Allah as being heedless or negligent or neglectful of what the sinful ones are doing, of what the wrongdoers are doing. No. إِنَّمَا He is but يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ He is only delaying them. And giving them respite. لِيَوْمٍ till a day, تَشْخَصُ فِيهِ الْأَبْصَارِ In which the eyes will become fixed in horror. The eyes will rise and become fixed in horror, staring upwards. So Allah Azza wa Jal is forever watchful. Allah is not heedless. Allah is not neglectful. He is not negligent. He is not unaware in any way. Rather, Allah knows, but He delays. Allah is fully aware, but Allah gives respite. Now, here there is a question. What's the relevance of such stories? And what's the relevance of these three nations and their accounts in this context? Well, there is a lesson for us. Let's speak first about the Prophet wasallam. During his time, because Allah addresses him directly. And this is a Makkan surah. There were parallels. Allah mentions the stories of the former prophets, alayhim wassalam, for guidance. And just as Allah says in Surah Hud, وَكُلَّنَّ نَقُصَّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الرُّسُلِ مَا نُثَبِّتُ بِهِ فُؤَادَكَ وَجَاءَكَ فِي هَذِهِ الْحَقِّ وَمَوْعِذَةٌ وَذِكْرَى لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says, and we do relate to you, of each of these messengers, of each of the tales and the accounts of these messengers. Such stories, such accounts, نُثَبِّتُ بِهِ فُؤَادَكَ that through them, we strengthen your heart. And verily has come to you. In these stories the truth. وَمَوْعِذَةً And an admonition. وَذِكْرَى And a reminder for the believers. So in these stories of the former messengers alayhim wassalam and their accounts of their, on the accounts of their people and their encounters and their interaction with them, there is inspiration there is steadfastness, there is strengthening, there is stability for our hearts, and there is wisdom, and there is an admonition, a reminder, and the true, a message of truth. Imagine if these stories could inspire and strengthen even the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, how rewarding, how inspiring, and how strengthening they will be for us, if only we were able to understand them and appreciate them for what they are. So, there were parallels in these accounts for the Prophet ﷺ. When he received these verses, there was a message for him in Mecca, for his followers, the companions, and there was a message even for his enemies. 
And the message for all of these people was as follows. That, O Prophet ﷺ, do not grieve despite their opposition and their persecution of you and your followers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause you to triumph, just as every messenger of Allah triumphed, and ultimately delivered his message. And his message lived on and lasted. O Prophet of Allah, you will prevail, you shall overcome them. Despite the appearance of futility at the moment. And a message to the followers, that all followers of the Messenger wasallam. this is in Mecca al-Mukarramah, what you are facing is no different to what all the followers of the messengers faced. It's a tradition. Whenever Allah sent a prophet to the nations, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they cursed him, they flung accusations at him, they called him a madman. That's what all of these prophets were told. And that's exactly what is happening with the messenger wasallam. However, be patient, persevere. Believe in the promise of Allah. Believe in the message of His Messenger. And you shall triumph. You will prevail. And Allah will vanquish your enemies. And the message for the enemies of the Messenger Makkah the Quraysh was, that oh, people of Makkah, oh, Quraysh, who are you? You are very, f- and this is, the, this is the reason for mentioning these three nations. The Quraysh, the Arabs in general, were very familiar with the stories and the accounts and the ultimate consequence of the people of Ad, the people of Thamud, and the people of Pharaoh. So Allah reminds them, and Allah merely gives them a reference. That oh, people of Mecca, who are you? You are nothing in number, in strength, in military might, in your own physical strength, in your culture, your wealth and your civilization. You are in no way whatsoever a match to the glorious nations of Ad, Thamud, and the glorious civilizations of Ad, Thamud, and Egypt. And yet... When they challenged and opposed the messengers of Allah, look at what became of them. So what guarantee do you have that the same fate will not befall you? Take heed. And Allah destroyed nations and civilizations that were far mightier than you, far more cultured, far more advanced than you could ever hope to be. Yet look what became of them. So that was a message for the people of Mecca at the time. The Prophet ﷺ, his followers and companions, as well as the Quraysh, the Prophet ﷺ's adversaries. What relevance do these verses have for us? They are very relevant. We find ourselves again in a period in which there is great scientific learning, great technological advancement. We've made everything around us beautiful, but we continue to let ourselves rot. We've sorted out everything, but we've corrupted ourselves. And we continue to allow ourselves to fall into corruption. We've beautified everything, yet we've kept our characters ugly. 
We, just as the people of Ad and the people of Thamud and the people of Pharaoh, they built great structures, the huge pyramids. The people of Thamud were masters of engineering. They hewed homes and buildings out of the rocks. Just as the people of Ad were mighty in physical strength, we pride ourselves on our science, on our technology, on our structures, on our architecture. We've conquered everything around us. We've conquered the oceans, the land. We've even reached space. And yet, we are unable to control our nafs. We are unable to control ourselves. As I was saying earlier, we have four ages. A physical age, a mental age, an emotional age, and an age of sense and wisdom. And hardly are they, rarely are they ever in synchrony. And we today as well, individually and collectively, we find ourselves being highly intelligent, academically intelligent, scientifically and technologically advanced. And yet, individually and collectively, we behave like children. All these things around us, we treat as toys. We leap and jump from one obsession to the next, caring for nothing. And we lose purpose, we lose sight of our purpose, of our destiny. And we repeat the thoughts, the words, and the behaviors of these same nations. The first of these nations was, Allah mentions were, the people of Ad. The people of Ad said something. The first of these three nations mentioned in the surah is the people of Ad. The people of Ad said something, and they believed in that. Many, many generations later, thousands of years later, the people of Mecca believed, thought the same thing and acted on it. And we, many generations later, we think the same and we act on the same. And do you know what that is? The people of Ad were the ones who said, In here, illa hayatuna dunya, namutu wa nahya, wa ma nahnu That it is nothing but the worldly life. We die and we live. And we are not ones to be resurrected. So the people of Ad denied resurrection. The people of Mecca denied resurrection and an afterlife. And we, either we explicitly deny resurrection and we say the same that it is nothing but this worldly life. Make this your paradise or your hell. And even if we ostensibly supposedly profess belief in the hereafter. It's merely a profession of tongue. Indeed and in action, do we live as though we believe in resurrection and life after death? Or do we live as though we actually believe in the motto, in here illa hayatun dunya namutu wa nahya, that there is nothing but this worldly life. We live and we die. And we are not ones to be resurrected. We are repeating their thoughts and their beliefs and their behaviors.
And we individually and collectively are doing exactly the same. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about all three nations, what did he say? الَّذِينَ طَغَوْ فِي الْبِلَادِ فَأَكْثَرُوا فِيهَا الْفَسَادِ Those who transgressed in the lands and spread much corruption therein. And this transgression comes, it rises. This rising rises. Because tughyan in Arabic means rising. So transgression originally in Arabic means rising. When a person rises above their station and above their true status, that is known as tughyan, transgression, rising. So how did these people transgress? Why did they transgress? What led them to their transgression? Well, one of the things is the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When they are abused, they lead to transgression. When these resources are diverted to sinful purposes, they lead to transgression. Wealth leads to transgression. If it's not controlled, if it's not spent wisely, the abundant and immoderate, intemperate love of wealth leads to transgression. And I will speak more about this in the next session because the middle section of the surah deals with this. But this is what led them to transgress. And their transgression led them to spreading corruption, strife and discord all across the lands. And we individually and collectively today are doing exactly the same. Allah has gifted us with many favors. Allah has bestowed us with, Allah has bestowed so much honors. Allah has endowed us with so much. And yet what are we doing? There is anarchy. There is mayhem. Where is the peace? Where is the stability? We may be prosperous in terms of wealth, but where is the prosperity and the growth and the flourishing of our souls, of our minds, of our spirits? So we, th- these, these accounts of the former nations are very relevant because we are simply following in their footsteps. Just as the Meccans of the, uh, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ were following in their footsteps. And Allah has warned us, Allah warned them and Allah warns us of the fate that befell them because of their transgression, their corruption and their behaviors. And their failure to follow the message and to accept the messages of their messengers alayhi wassalatu wassalam. Finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, pay heed, take heed, pay attention. Inna rabbaka labil mirsad. Indeed, your Lord is watchful. Allah is not unaware. Allah is not neglectful in any way. Allah knows everything. Allah knows everything about us. In one verse, يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنِ وَمَا تُخْفِ الصُّدُورِ وَاللَّهُ يَقْضِي بِالْحَقِّ Allah knows the treachery of the eyes. And He knows that which the hearts conceal. Whether we express it, whether we conceal it, Allah knows our innermost thoughts, our deepest emotions, good and bad, rightful or wrongful. Allah knows every single thing. Allah knows the treachery of our eyes. Allah knows the betrayal of our hearts. Allah knows our sinful thoughts and emotions. Allah will produce everything on the day of reckoning. وَمَا تَسْقُطُ مِنْ وَرَقَةٍ إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا 
ولا حبة في ظلمات في ظلمات الأرض ولا رطب ولا يابس إلا في كتاب مبين No leaf flutters and falls to the ground except that he knows it And neither a seed in the darknesses of the earth, deep buried in the ground. There is no seed which is deep and buried in the ground, except that it is not hidden from Allah. And neither is there anything which is dry, wet or dry, except that it is all in the clear book. And Luqman alayhi salam when advising his son, he told him, Be mindful of Allah, O oh my son. Be fearful of Allah, be conscious of Allah, be mindful of Allah. And then he told him, O oh my son, Ya Bunayya, Innaha in takumith qala habbatim min khardalin, fatakun fi sakhratin. أو في السماوات أو في الأرض يأتي بها الله إن الله لطيف خبير Oh my child If it, meaning anything is even to the measure and to the weight of a mustard seed and then that mustard seed that tiny, minute, minuscule thing is deep within a rock Imagine a, a small seed embedded within a boulder and a rock. Even if it's hidden there. Or it could be anywhere in the heavens or the earth. Oh my son, Allah, Allah will produce it. Inna Allah latifun khabir, indeed Allah is subtle. Allah is all-knowing. So Allah is watchful over us. Individually and collectively. And Allah is watchful. And not just observant and watchful. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking everything into account. And on the day of reckoning, on the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will produce everything. And of that day Allah mentions in the Quran. يَوْمَ تُبْلَ السَّرَائِرُ on the day when all the secrets shall be revealed. There is none, he will have no strength then, and no, no one to assist him. So again, the message is very relevant. Be mindful, pay heed, pay attention, take heed, and know that whether it's to do with individuals or nations collectively, Allah is watchful. Let me just quickly, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you to account. And though you may not see the punishment now, Allah delays and defers, but Allah does not dismiss. He may delay and defer, but he does not dismiss. I'll quickly translate the verses so far. Wal-Fajr, by the daybreak. Walayalin ashr by the ten nights, والشفعي والوتر, by the even, by the odd, والليل إذا يسر, by the night when it moves on, هل في ذلك قسم لذي حجر, 
Is there an oath in this for one of intelligence? أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِعَادٍ Have you not seen what your Lord did with Ad? إِرَمَ ذَاتِ الْعِمَادِ Of Iram. People of pillars. الَّتِي لَمْ يُخْلَقْ مِثْلُهَا فِي الْبِلَادِ Those whose like was not created in the lands. وَثَمُودَ الَّذِينَ جَابُوا الصَّخْرَ بِالْوَادِ and what your Lord did with the people of Thamud, those who hollowed out, who hollowed out and who carved the rocks in the valley, in the valley referring to the region where they remain, where they lived, the valley of Hijr. And what your Lord did with Pharaoh, the one of pegs. Those who transgressed in the lands, فَأَكْثَرُوا فِيهَا الْفَسَادِ So they spread much corruption therein. فَصَبَّ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّكَ صَوْتَ عَذَابِ So your Lord poured on them the scourge of punishment. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ لَبِالْمِرْصَادِ Indeed your Lord is ever watchful. We should fear the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his accountability too. May Allah Azza wa Jal enable us to understand these words of the Holy Quran. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.